You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Good morning. My name is Jesse, and I'm one of the leaders here. And if you've spent much time at Hub City, you know that our mission here and our prayer is Jesus Restore Albany. And that's also a core value of ours, that we get to partner with Jesus and each other to restore the city that we live here in exile and to bring the gospel. And occasionally, like we talked, like we actually did last week, tangibly bring restoration to the city. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was doing a uh, Lectio Divina, reading through the passage of Psalm 23 with our cohort, which a little shameless plug here, we have a discipleship cohort that runs from January to June, and it's amazing. We get to go together and learn about how to read the Bible and what it means to be on mission and also how we have been specifically created to live on mission uh, in our own selves. And it's just wonderful. We're about to finish our third iteration of that, and it's been great. So during that cohort, while we were reading Psalm 23, I kept getting snagged on the word restore. I kept reading it and just like hearing that word restore deep inside my soul. And just, I later on kind of uh, realized it's such a huge word for us here and one that I've personally not spent a lot of time thinking about or dwelling on or like as a congregation, we haven't really spent a lot of time dwelling on what that word means. And since that time, I felt really strongly like that that needs to be the theme of our next women's retreat. So another shameless plug, save the day in October. Um, but I was, as I was thinking through that and thinking through this, um, this time of preaching, thinking about the word restore and kind of laying some groundwork for the women's retreat, but also spending some time just contemplating that as a, as a community. And you would think that part of that would have been intentionally planned of actually doing the serve week last week where we spent the whole weekend restoring or a whole day restoring, but it was not. It didn't occur to me until like halfway through last week after spending a whole weekend actually restoring that that's also what I was talking about this week, but that's fun. It was a nice surprise for me. Um, but I wanted to show you a couple of pictures of what our space looked like before and after. Because um, we did, we had a whole crew of people here working to restore specifically the kids' space, but also uh, some spots downtown. And we did some prayer and some uh, work at the park downtown at Bryant Park. And I also just am going to throw a shout out to Mark and Robin over here because, please, <laughs> they spent all weekend here, like, I don't even know how many hours, probably 40 from Friday to Sunday, <laughs> um, and spent a lot of time working on it. So it looks that way in huge part because of them. So we got some painting done and 
ripped up a bunch of carpet and scraped so much glue off the floor. And so after the kids leave today, please go and check out that space. Um, it's, it's amazing. The picture clearly does not do it justice. But anyway, so as I've been contemplating this word restore, I just... It's, it's opened up a new understanding of the Bible for me. And I love when you get this word that kind of just like anchors itself in your soul and then suddenly you have a new lens with which to read the Bible. And that's what Restore has been for me. And I've been going through the book of Ezekiel and it's just everywhere. So I'm hoping that you are given those glasses today, that set of lens for you to read through the Bible and just see that, especially if you call Hub City your home, that we should be looking through the Bible through this lens of restore, that we should be looking at the world that we're living in through this lens of restore. And it's, it's our mission specifically, and that it's not our mission alone, that it's us working through Jesus Restore Albany, but that we get to do that together. So we're going to explore that a little bit today. So let's pray before we get any further. Father God, I just thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these people that, um, that are here this morning. We thank you for all of the men who are at the men's retreat this weekend. And we thank you for all of the people who are not here this morning for whatever reason. I just pray that we are constantly being transformed and being restored by who you are. And I pray that this morning brings restoration to all of our hearts and lives the way um, this idea has worked in my life. And I thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, restore Albany. <clears throat> it's something that's written on our wall. It's something we say here from the stage all the time. And it's something that hopefully we all live out to varying degrees of success. But what does restore mean? What does restore look like? What does this teach us about God? And what does this teach us about ourselves? This is kind of the framework that I'm hoping to answer some of these questions today. So, of course, what is the definition of restoration? Because starting with the dictionary is always a pretty good place to start. I loved the definition of restore. To bring back to a former, original, or normal condition. This applies to physical things like health, or man-made structures, or natural things like a garden. It also applies to concepts or feelings like restored to order. Some synonyms, ready? Heal, redeem, win back, refresh, repair, recover, cure, strengthen, revive, renew, bring back, renovate, repair, rescue, reestablish. That is such a good list right there. So if restore is to bring back to a former, original, or normal condition, and we know that God restores, that means something had to be broken in order for it to be brought back to its original condition. So if God came to restore this world, 
from the first moment his creation was broken, he has been working to restore it. And every moment we continue to break something, he continues to work to restore his creation back to what it was always meant to be. So today I'm going to tell you a story of restoration. One that starts in Genesis, goes through the Old Testament, is preached by Jesus in the New Testament. One that is my story and your story and collectively our story. It spans from the beginning and ahead to the very end of destruction itself until the new, fully restored kingdom is realized. I pray this morning that you hear your own story of restoration and the good news that it brings. I pray that you can find God's restorative work in your heart and life and that transformation happens in both. I also pray curiosity over you that you can wonder at this word, that you can find in your own studies that it speaks to your heart and mind so that we can be more equipped for Jesus to restore us to right relationship with him and work through us to restore Albany. In order to start understanding restoration, we need to understand what we are restoring. What was the original normal intention for this world? It makes sense to me that we start at the beginning. Genesis 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then he created a bunch of other stuff. If you aren't familiar with the story, open up your Bible, read through the first couple of pages. 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And then in 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then in chapter two, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So when we read through these, what do we discover about God's original plan for creation? One. God created everything, and he declared it good, and he blessed it. So we can assume some good intentions there for him. His purpose was a positive one. Two, he made something out of nothing. So he's capable of that. The original translations of this say that um, formless and void can be translated as chaos. So he literally made order out of chaos. For the first time, I read this passage, and I saw the systematic way that God went about creating things. I am fairly confident that if I went about creating things, I'd be like, oh, 
water and air and fish and then I'd get distracted and throw some fish in the sea and then maybe I'd plant some trees over here and then I'd forget about the fish and they're out air drowning over here and then I'd try and throw them back in the water and then the in the meantime the trees would have died because there was no sunlight to help them grow and just general chaos. But that is not thankfully how God went about doing this. He went about it in a really orderly way. In this order, we see that he has seasons, seasons of darkness and light, seasons of production and celebration, and intentionally included seasons of downtime and rest, growth and pause, action and stillness. Three, we see that there's work for us in this original plan, that the work is good, it's normal, and, what it's, and is right. It is work that we do with God, but also that we rest with God afterwards. We know from Genesis 2 that Adam and Eve also had a personal relationship with God, that he came down to be with them, that the original purpose of creation was for God to dwell amongst his creation. Can I just stop there for a second? Because this actually blew me away when I thought about it this way. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But that wasn't an unraveling of a new plan. This was God's original intention for creation. God was always meant to walk with us and be with us. God's original plan for an orderly world where there were balanced seasons of rest and work where everything worked within its design and purpose and where God worked amongst his creation in personal relationship with them. And then sin entered the world. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and then lied to God about it. The perfect world was broken and death and destruction entered in, but it was not the end of the story. God immediately started work on his restoration plan. His original plan was derailed in part because his original plan included humans' ability to choose and think for ourselves. But instead of God just accepting the destruction, he immediately enacted this restoration project to bring his world back to its original purpose, but also to provide glimpses for us on what this purpose was supposed to be like the whole time. So what does this restoration look like? God, in his infinite grace, invites us to take part in this restoration with him. He protects us and saves us. And the problem with that is that we frequently take the rescue and then turn our back on him as soon as we're safe. In Psalm 78, the priest Asaph wrote this long song telling the history of God's people up until that point. And he tells about all the good things God did for his people and, now, and then how his people responded by not remembering him or keeping his commandments. 78. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the seas and let them pass through it. He made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused water to flow down like rivers. 
All these wonderful things that he did to show them his original plan for the world. He performed wonders. He literally decided, divided the sea and created land where there was water. He put himself among them with a tangible visual reminder of his presence. He made water and food come out of places where water and food should not exist. And all of these things are examples of him bringing restoration to this world. They are examples of him showing his people little glimpses of what the world was supposed to be like. And their response? They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that they showed him. And in verse 21 of this of, 28, of Psalm 78, God heard, heard their forgetfulness, and justifiably he, his anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in him or his trusting or trust his power. And yet, this book of Psalms is full of and yet's. They forgot God and his mercies and faithfulness, and it breaks his heart. He is angry and full of wrath. His heart is broken. And yet, he still fed them. And yet, he still led them. And yet, he still forgave them. Verse 38. And yet, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. And then in 72, with upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. We see this cycle repeated over and over again throughout the whole Old Testament. There's a cycle of forgetfulness, consequence, repentance, and then God forgives and restores his people back into loving relationship with him over and over and over and over. In the New Testament, we see Jesus continuing to carry out this work that has been happening all along. His miracles are little windows into the future and the heaven that we are promised, but they're also windows into the past, into the life that we were meant to live when the world was originally created. Jesus brings life out of death, makes food where there shouldn't be food, heals sickness and pain. He walks among his people, talking with them, eating with them, being with them. In the book of Ezekiel, God's people have not followed God's ways or remembered all he's done, and the consequences are coming, but the purposes of those consequences are written all over the book, so that my people will know that I am God. In Ezekiel 34, God gives this message of hope. God, the master, says, from now on, I myself am the shepherd. I'm looking for them. As shepherds go after their flocks when they get scattered, I'm going after my sheep. I'll rescue them from all the places they've been scattered to in the storms. I'll bring them back from foreign peoples, gather them from foreign countries, and bring them back to their home country. I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel, along the streams, among their own people. I'll lead them into lush pasture so they can roam the mountain pastures of Israel, graze at leisure, Feed in the rich pastures on the mountain of Israel, and I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make sure they get plenty of rest. I'll go after the lost, I'll collect the strays, I'll doctor the injured, I'll build up the weak ones, and oversee the strong ones so they're not exploited. Emmanuel, God with us, and not just with us hanging out and watching how we're doing. In this restoration process, God does all of the work. He is the only one who can restore things, people, hearts, souls, to what he originally intended, intended them to be, 
but then he invites us into this process. Our repentance is our first step towards the restoration, but it requires us to acknowledge that we need restoration, that we are not fine on our own, that we don't have total control over our worlds. It requires surrender and trust. Surrender to the God who does have control and trust that he can take care of whatever needs to be done. Not our own will, but his, and that he will take care of it in his timing. In that passage in Ezekiel, notice all the first person pronouns. No one but God is doing the work in that passage. He will do all the healing and all the cleansing, but we still get to participate in that. We are the ones who get to be restored, but then we get to use that restoration to bring the message of restoration to others. But what does it look like for us to be restored? Think back to our synonyms of restore. And then part of the way that we define a thing is to also look at what it is not. So let's look at some antonyms of restore. Damage, decline, destroy, harm, hurt, weaken. Or, as Paul puts it in Galatians, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We just finished looking finished six weeks looking at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and we saw pretty clearly there what restoration looks like. It looks like a whole heart change. When Nick and I, my husband, bought our first house at the ripe old age of 25, I was pregnant with Delia, our third kid, and we weren't like super rich or anything, so our options for houses were pretty slim. We ended up finding this beautiful house that had recently been flipped had a gorgeous yard, new paint, new cabinets, all the pretty things. And it looked like it was so much better than what we could have afforded that we thought we were really lucky. There was this one spot, though. In the kitchen, we thought it was kind of weird. It was right behind the fridge where the sheetrock wasn't even with the sheetrock next to it, but there was this nice little piece of molding around it, so we thought maybe it was just a design thing we didn't understand, and it looked intentional. It wasn't. When I was mere days away from having that third child, our fridge started leaking, and one thing led to another. We discovered that somebody before us had probably also had a leaking fridge, and their answer was to slap on a piece of sheetrock over the top of the wet sheetrock and lay some linoleum over the wet linoleum. And as you can imagine, that problem became a lot worse. There was mold everywhere, and we ended up having to replace studs and subfloors and drywall, the whole works. The house looked perfect, but the deep layers of change that needed to happen didn't. So our restoration looked like first identifying the problem, second destroying that which looked good but actually wasn't, and then replacing everything with what was new and better and putting it back to what it should have been originally. 
The frustrating thing about this restoration project, that while my house was in utter chaos for weeks, by the end, when we put it all back together, it didn't really look any different other than having a flush wall. <laughs> but it didn't have the mold and the water damage lurking under the surface. God doesn't just want our behaviors to be restored. He wants our hearts. He wants the deep under the surface stuff. And how do we do that? One, we identify the problem. We pray and ask God to reveal our mold and our water damage, and then we let him do the work in us. You can't strong arm your way through this heart restoration. You can't white knuckle your heart change. Ask me how I know this. I'll actually confess something to you. <laughs> While I was literally writing this sermon, I've had a rough couple of weeks, and I had this moment of like, I can't do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I texted Danielle, and I told her that. And she said, put your heart, hand over your heart and just surrender. And I told her, shut your face. <laughs> I did not schedule that into my time. I don't have time for collapse right now. I don't have time to surrender. I am going to shoulder through this. And she rightly told me no. And just, just thinking about it, just thinking about putting my hand over my heart and surrendering was so scary to me. But I finally did it, and I surrendered. I collapsed, and it was hard, and it was good. And then I sat down and finished writing this, where I was preaching to myself, if not to any of you. It is hard work, guys. It's scary, and it's emotional, and it takes time. And sometimes it feels like we don't have the time for that. But something I've learned is that it leaks out anyway. So you might as well take the time. You can sit back and let God reveal to you what needs to be done and then let him do it. In Matthew 22:37, Jesus says that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. Look back at your notes from the Sermon on the Mount series to see the implications of this for our day-to-day -day lives. In one of his sermons, Matt said, Jesus is after nothing less than the full renovation of our hearts. Full renovation, full restoration. And when you think of restoration with that definition in mind, what we see is that Jesus wants to bring us back to ourselves to the best version of ourselves that he originally designed us to be. So what does this teach us about God? When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, we see that God wanted our whole hearts changed, but we also saw the type of world that God wanted for his people. One for the poor in spirit, where there's comfort for those who mourn and satisfaction for those who hunger where there's mercy and peace, joy and goodness, a world that is good. This whole Bible points to a patient God who has a purpose and a timeline and seems to not be in any hurry to check off that to-do list. We see a God who is creative and orderly, who cares about little details and broad brushstrokes. 
In Matthew 6, when the passage talks about the lilies of the field being adorned even than the richest kings, I am struck by the idea that God cares enough about the lilies to clothe them so. That he's made tiny bugs whose entire existence is moving poop around, but he also made the peacock in all of his many colors. He cares about this world deeply. He's invested and he wants what's best for it. And that includes us. He wants what's best for us, himself. He cared enough about us that even after all those years of forgetting and betraying and chasing after the little G gods, he still put on the fleshly skin and walked among us and continued to show us what this restoration could and will look like. We see that God is a God of and yets. We destroy and break, and yet he renews and restores. We lie and cheat, and yet he speaks truth and forgives. He provides a different way for us to live than one of destruction and death, and he continues to restore us even when we turn away from him. In Ezekiel 36, God lays out this plan for his people. For here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out of these countries, gather you from all over, and bring you back to your own land. I'll pour pure water over you and scrub you clean. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove this stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. You'll once again live in the land I gave your ancestors. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. How beautiful is that promise? This is what God can do for us. Bring us back to the land that he created for us, our own land. He scrubs us clean, gives us a new heart so that we can be fully restored to him. So what does this restoration teach us about ourselves? God doesn't need us for his restoration. He wants us. We get to be willing participants in this process. We get to choose to want it. But we have to surrender our hearts and let him do the restoration work. Because if we did it on our own, it would look more like my version of creation than his. Although maybe without the air drowning fish. The order we could create would always have too much chaos in it. In Matthew 19, a rich man, young man came to Jesus and asked how to achieve eternal life through his good deeds. And he said he kept all the major commandments. And Jesus responded with this. If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And then when the disciples understandably think is a little bit harsh and question Jesus, he says, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. While this last verse is often used to help us feel strong when we need to like lift a car off a kitten or something, what Jesus is referring to is actually restoration. It is impossible for man to be perfect so we cannot ever bring true restoration. And yet, with God, it is no longer impossible. 
It is through his pursuit, his sacrifice, his love, and his perfect upholding of the law that we just get to walk in the wake of his restoration. We don't just coast in that wake, though. It's still hard work. Rarely is that process of restoration painless. I've been struck more and more with how often we take the short view of things while God takes the long view, and that requires so much trust and patience on our part. That's work. We have to trust that God does the restoration, and we have to have patience that he will do it in his own time, and we have to continually lay our preferences and our plans and our hopes down at his feet. What does this restoration look like for you? I want you to take a minute. I'm giving you the uh, opportunity to do what I was too scared to do. If you feel comfortable, put your hand on your heart and just breathe and close your eyes and feel that restoration. What needs restoration in your life? A relationship, your heart, a particular desire you're struggling with? How much of this restoration process are you fighting against? Are you trying to do it on your own? What could your story of restoration look like? What would it look like for you to surrender these things so that God can work a restoration in you? you want, you can open your eyes, but feel free to keep them closed. Matthew closes out his book with the passage that is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are invited into this restoration project with God. He's given us all the authority to baptize, to love, to point, to guide people towards the restorer. None of that effort or weight or responsibility is ours to hold. Jesus is with us always, and he's the one doing the heavy lifting. This restoration project we get to take part in requires all of us, our whole heart, our whole life, and life will break us down and destroy us. We will suffer and be damaged. And yet, God in his infinite wisdom and grace uses even those moments to restore, 
to rebuild and renovate and redeem, back to remind us of who we were always meant to be. And then in turn, we get to use our own stories of redemption to guide people back to the capital R Restorer. So when you come to the tables today, come humbled. Come feeling your brokenness and expecting restoration. Come feeling and rejoicing in the restoration that has already happened in your life. Take this bread and juice knowing that Jesus asks for all of us but was willing to give all of himself first. That he let his own body be destroyed, damaged, broken, so that he could be restored, but also so that the whole world would be restored. So that you could be restored back to your rightful place in the kingdom that God created.